I love watching movies. Whether it's going to the movies or finding a great one to watch at home, movies are my favorite activity. If you're joining us right now, actually, why don't you do me a favor and tell us in the chat what your favorite movie is. So go ahead and type it in there now. Sometimes movies can be incredibly predictable. For example, it's almost Christmas season, which means it's almost Hallmark movie season, and every single one of those movies is so easy to know how it's going to end within like the first three minutes of the movie starting. And honestly, that's okay. I often adore those type of movies. But other times, there are movies where you go through the entire storyline thinking it's about one thing or that it's going to end a certain way. And then right at the end, there's a twist that happens or something that completely changes the entire movie for you. The movie called The Sixth Sense is a lot like this. Now, in case you haven't seen it, I promise not to spoil it completely right here and right now. Even though if you haven't seen it by now, that's really on you because it came out about 30 years ago. But I will say, what you learn at the end of that movie changes the entire way you look at the whole movie. These are some of my favorite types of movies because the twist normally happens towards the end, so it leaves you sort of shocked and has you leaving the theater, just replaying the movie back in your head, rethinking it through the lens of this twist. And honestly, the book of Jonah in the Bible is a lot like this for me. When we read this story, we have a pretty general idea of how it's going and what it's going to be about. Sure, there's a few twists and turns here and there, but eventually we get a good grasp that it's about Jonah running and not wanting to obey God. But then chapter 4 happens, and it doesn't quite end the way that at least I would expect. If you and I haven't gotten the chance to hang out or to meet, my name is Hannah, and I'm on staff here at Restore as a leadership resident, and I'm so excited to be wrapping up our Jonah series together today. If you're joining us for the first time in a few weeks, we've been walking through the story of Jonah, and it has been a wild ride so far. So before we truly dive into chapter four, I'd love to give you just a quick recap of where we've been in this book. Now the book of Jonah begins with God calling a prophet named Jonah to go and preach to the people of Nineveh who are wicked and they're known for their violence and for their hatred. So Jonah doesn't want to go to them. He doesn't like the people of Nineveh. So he says, yeah, no, those people are evil. I'm not going there. And he gets on a ship and he heads the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. Jonah runs away from his calling, and he runs away from God. But God, being someone that we can never outrun, follows Jonah. God then sends a big storm to break up the ship and to, to get Jonah's attention. So this big storm comes, and everyone on the boat starts to freak out. And they start praying out to their gods to stop the storm. But their prayers aren't working. And Jonah finally speaks up and says, hey, this is kind of about me. This is my fault. 
So he tells the crew, hey, throw me overboard and the storm will stop. Now the people on the boat, being the kind people that they were, they didn't throw him off at first and they tried to keep praying, but eventually the storm never stopped and they caved and they did as Jonah said and they plopped him overboard and instantly the storm calms. But Jonah is now finding himself in the middle of the sea, probably thinking he's going to drown. And then God sends a large fish to swallow Jonah. And so there Jonah spends the next three days inside the belly of a fish. Eventually, the fish spits Jonah out onto dry land, and God gives Jonah a second chance and tells him once again, hey, go to Nineveh. This time, Jonah responds, heads to Nineveh, and he tells them to repent. The people of Nineveh all turn from their wicked ways. They all repent, and they all turn to God, which is an amazing ending to the story, right? This is where we'd cue the victory dance for Jonah, we'd roll the credits of the movie, we'd plan the celebration party, and in a way, this is how maybe we all predicted this story ending. A whole town repents, and there's revival. We would all expect Jonah to celebrate this, but that's not what we see happen in chapter 4 at all. In fact, let's read together. So turn to chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're gracious and that you were compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. But Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied to Jonah by saying, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah became angry that the Ninevites repented. Not at all how I saw this story ending. Right after God acted in a way that we would have hoped for God to act, with compassion and with grace, after an entire town responds to God with repentance, we see Jonah react in anger. Now the twist here is, He was angry that God was being good. He's mad that God saved them. Now, if you and I were to complain about God, there are a few other times that make more sense to me, at least, to complain about him. Sometimes when God is silent, that's an opportunity I choose to complain about God. When bad things happen to people we love, sure, makes sense to complain to God. But Jonah... He's not complaining that God is being bad or distant or silent. His complaint is about God's grace towards them. God is being gracious to people Jonah doesn't like or doesn't believe are deserving of his grace. You see, we all love to talk about God's goodness inside church circles. We even have phrases and slogans for it. For example, when I say, God is good, all the time, you might respond and say, and all the time, God is good. But what happens when God is good to your enemy? What happens inside of your heart 
when God is good to people you don't like or you don't believe are deserving of his goodness. Because what we learn from the story of Jonah is that God is gracious to everyone. And sometimes that will be even people we don't like. And I think if we were really honest, that can sometimes make us angry. We can start to be mad at the fact that others are getting grace that we don't believe they deserve. This is how we see Jonah respond. He's angry. Now, anger can be a helpful and healthy emotion to have, but we see Jonah react with a specific type of anger. He isn't responding with the healthy anger that can lead to healing or justice or action. No, what we're seeing here is Jonah's anger stemming from a place of self-righteousness. And this kind of anger is not of God. Jonah is putting himself in the judgment seat and he is deciding who gets to receive the grace of God and who doesn't. I think at this moment, it would be really easy for us to judge Jonah. It's easy for you and I to look at him and say, come on, Jonah, God did a great thing. His grace is for everyone and his grace for these people and how he acted was wonderful. But if we examine our own hearts, there may be times where we act just like Jonah. There are times when we act in self-righteousness as well because we all have the tendency to allow self-righteousness to creep up in us. I know this because it can appear in, in so many different ways. For example, all of my life, I used those like wired headphones. For decades, whenever I wanted to listen to music on the go or a movie on the go, I had my headphones that plugged into my phone and had a wire attached to them. Well, one Christmas, my family was so incredibly generous and got me a pair of AirPods. You know, ones that look like these. And let me tell you, instantly, I felt so much cooler. Just because for some reason, these didn't have a cord on them and I could just put them individually in my ear. But then any time after that, whenever I saw someone whip out their corded headphones, I would instantly look down on them and be like, what are you doing, you peasant, using headphones with cords? And how quickly I put myself in a category that is better than you simply because I have AirPods, headphones without a cord. We do this in small ways, but unfortunately, we also do it in pretty serious ways as well. And I believe the story of Jonah here in chapter 4 helps serve as a warning to you and I to assess the self-righteousness we may allow to grow in us. It's an invitation to examine our hearts and see where we may be selective in the grace we want to give or the grace that we wish God to give to others. Chances are each one of us has acted the same way Jonah has. Sure, Maybe it hasn't been so overtly obvious, but it is easy for us to pass judgment. It's easy for us to categorize good and evil, light and darkness, 
holy and not holy, us and them. Maybe we do this with a certain group of people or a specific political party. We look at them and we say, they don't deserve the same kind of grace we do. They are evil. Or, to make it even more personal, maybe it's not a specific people group for you, but it's a certain someone. Maybe it's your ex-husband that you are quick to name the bad parent and yourself as the good parent. Maybe it's the girl in your high school that is constantly talking bad about people, so you kind of secretly wish she loses some of her friendships. Or maybe it's the coworker that never seems to pull their weight around the office, but is constantly getting noticed. And we take the seat of judgment, and we start deciding where grace can or should be given based on how good people are or what they do. We find ourselves just like Jonah. Sure, when, when others mess up, they aren't deserving of grace. But when I mess up, please show me the grace. But the problem with that is that we all have fallen short and are all in need of God's grace. We all have evil and goodness in us. We all have light and darkness in us. We are all undeserving of God's grace. Yet, God gives it to us freely. So here, God is asking Jonah, do you have any right to be angry? God isn't asking Jonah if it's okay for him to have anger. He's asking him, where is your anger coming from? Because God knew that Jonah, like you and I, was allowing self-righteousness to grow and lead him to judgment of the Ninevites. So the question we must ask today is if we all have a tendency to act in a way of self-righteousness, how do we combat that? How do we move from self-righteous into a place of humility? How do you and I weed out the self-righteousness so that we can begin to be transformed into the likeness of God and be the bearer of his good news to anyone and everyone who is in need of it? The first thing I think we can learn from Jonah's story is that we have to get up and out of the judgment seat. Too often, just like Jonah, you and I will take it upon ourselves to sit down and take the seat of God and decide if others are deserving of grace. And that was never our role to play. That job description is already taken by an incredibly just God. And so we must learn that we cannot control or contain the grace of God. God will be gracious to whomever God will be gracious to. Now, that doesn't mean that it will always make sense to you and I. It doesn't mean that we can't question it or we can't wrestle with it. But what it does mean is that the Holy Spirit wants to get us to recognize when our anger flows out of a place of self-righteousness, that we remember it's not our place to judge. The second way we can fight this self-righteous anger is to grow in our compassion. You see, one of Jonah's biggest mistakes is that he lacked compassion for the Ninevites, which kept his heart cold towards them. And loving your enemies is not an easy task and is by far one of the most radical requests that Jesus asks of us. But the antidote 
for judgment is compassion. If we want to weed out judgment, then we have to grow in compassion towards others, especially those that we don't like. We have to empathize with them. We have to humanize them and seek to understand who they are. One of my favorite quotes on compassion is, about, is by an author named Henry Nouwen. He writes, compassion is born when we discover in the center of our own existence, not only that God is God and man is man, but also that our neighbor is really our fellow man. You see, compassion allows us to realize that God is God and we are all human and we have all fallen short, and we can stop judging others and see everyone as human. The third thing I think God is trying to get Jonah and us to see is that we must recognize our own shortcomings. You and I need to remember that we are all in desperate need of a savior. Jonah was deciding in real time that he deserved grace, but the Ninevites did not. You see, this is easy to do sometimes. It reminds me of a story that was recorded in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 18. Jesus is talking to a group of people and he tells the story of a tax collector and a religious leader. He says that both of them went into a church service and they sat on separate sides of the room and the religious leader prayed out to God saying, God, I thank you that I am not as bad as some of these other people. I thank you that I'm not as bad as that tax collector. He was comparing himself to others and acting in a way of self-righteousness. But the tax collector prayed a simple prayer. He said in verse 13, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus then told the people listening, the tax collector who recognized his own sins, his own shortcomings, is the one that went away with the mercy that he needed because he recognized his need of a savior. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What if you and I practiced that prayer daily? What if instead of being so concerned about others and who and who might not deserve grace, we were hyper aware of our own need for God's mercy because we are sinners. When we can get out of the judgment seat, when we can grow in compassion for our enemies, and when we can be honest with ourselves and our own need for a savior, that's when we can begin to do the hard work of weeding out our self-righteousness. As we close out this series together, here's the hope that is for all of us. God was chasing the Ninevites. He was chasing the people on the boat. His grace was chasing after Jonah because his grace and his love has no limits, even for those that we don't like. But it also has no limits to us. You see, Jonah missed the mark so many times. But God never gave up on him because God wasn't just about Jonah's obedience. He was after Jonah's heart. He wanted him to root out his self-righteousness. He never gave up on Jonah 
He did not turn his back on him when he ran away for the first time or even the second time. He also didn't leave him on his own even after he was finally obedient but still lacked transformation and compassion. And the good news is God wants to do the same with you and with me. God is after more than just our obedience. He's after our hearts. We just need to ask ourselves, will we allow him to transform us? Transform us into people who are givers of grace and are full of compassion. People who know they also need a savior. God's grace chases us down and it never runs out. May we be receivers and givers of that grace. Jonah teaches us that there's no place we can outrun God's grace and goodness. So let me close us out with this verse in Psalms that reads in chapter 23, verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray.